TL's Roadhouse. Good to have you all back. We're trying, finally getting everything lined out, man. We're getting all of our camera placements done and getting the backdrops right. This has been a work in progress. So if, over the last few episodes, I know things have looked a little squirrely, but we're getting better all the time. In the house is my buddy, Hardy. What's up, man? Good to see you, brother. Dude, good to be here. How are you, man? I'm got never that, better. Got that orange on. I'm ready to go. Dude, come on. <laughs> so where are we today? We're in Bristol, dude. We're at Bristol Motor Speedway. Yeah. Have you ever been to a race here? Dude, so yeah. I had been to one race here, and it was about probably 22. It's probably seven or eight years ago, six, seven, eight years ago. And I grew up going to Talladega my whole life. Since yeah. I was 12 years old, me and my dad went to both races until I was like 19 until I moved to Nashville and then quit going um, for the most part. But I got invited to come to Bristol the night race, and we got here, and the bottom fell out. And they canceled oh. the race, and I had, and it's, and it's, is it on a Sunday? Then yeah, NASCAR is usually on Sunday. Let's, uh, That's right. It used so to be ARCA or the the uh, uh, Bush or the, uh, all that stuff. But night races are the best here, man. Dude, I, what made them so cool is man, they bottom out and you see the sparks fly. Yes, out the bottom of the cars. It's awesome. But they they rescheduled it for the next day, and the group I was with, including myself, we had to get back to town. It was oh. like for a riot or something. We had something going on. So we missed. So I. So I. We saw like eleven laps, which here is like thirty seconds. Oh. And then I think a big old thing of lightning, and like the bottom fell out, and they held us for like an hour. They made everybody leave, and then they brought us back in. I think, and then they, and then lightning struck again, and they were like, "We got to push to tomorrow." Yeah. So I got to see eleven laps at Bristol, and that's all I got. You ever had a chance to drive around the, one of the tracks, man? Uh, you need to check that. You, if you get a chance to do it, I think Richard Petty still has a driving school. I've done it in Las Vegas. I've, I've got to drive in uh, at the the uh, the. Dallas Fort Worth track out there. Yeah. That track's almost just like uh, uh, Charlotte. It's real similar to Charlotte. Really? Yeah, but it's it's a cool experience, man, to be able to push a car up to 170, 80 miles an oh, hour. They let, you do, they let you do the whole thing? They will put you out there with a pace car in front of you, and you that you go through the orientation and do the whole thing, but they'll let you drive as fast as they feel that you're comfortable going. They yeah. will let you they will they will take you as fast as you want to go. Now, I think my best lap speed was like 172 miles an hour, was something like that. <laughs> but I've been in a pace car at 200 miles an hour. And it'll it'll make you like that. I've never yeah, I've never been I've never been that. My buddy had a Camaro in high school and like we got up to 130 one time and that's about all. That's that's as fast as I but I I would love to go faster. I that would be awesome. I was just complaining to my wife the other day. My truck's got a governor on it. it my my Ford shuts off at ninety seven miles Dude, an hour. And mine does too. It did just it stops just as fast as it'll go. And I'm like, I'm not happy about that. She's she's like, Why are you going ninety seven miles an hour? I said, You got to see how fast it'll yeah, go. Yeah, dude. Do you have a two fifty? I do. Dude, I do too, man. And it's ninety six <laughs> is mine. It, right there. A, you know, it'll get there in two seconds, but it's it will not go any faster. That turbo's pretty bad. Dude, feel, I just got come, mine. It don't come out of the hole real hard, but once it gets dude, going, it's like bam. You you can get around people on the interstate so smooth it is i had a 150 for forever and it was awesome and it's and i still i kept it and it's it is awesome but dude this thing there ain't nothing like it man it's awesome freaking love it man Mm -hmm. you're up above everything too and you're in the hammer lane and you come up on somebody really fast they usually will get out of the way yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, you're right, man. It's been, I've been looking forward to this so much. We've been we've been talking for a while about uh, being able to sit down and talk like this. I'm uh, I'm very proud of your career, man. You've done some amazing stuff, and you're you're leaning into the wind. You're really pushing the boundaries, and uh, and bringing a little bit edgier rock and roll to the forefront in country format. How, what kind of pushback are you getting, man? A little bit, but to be honest, not a whole lot, man. Everybody has been very very accepting of it. Um, I try not to read like the comments and dig too deep into that okay. stuff because I I don't know how I would handle that. You know, it's like you get a hundred good ones, but then there's one bad one, and then and that's I, the one that sticks with you. Yes, okay. and uh, but not a whole lot, man. My fans have been kind of with me the whole time, and if you know if I do one thing or do another, like they they're just they're here for it, and I I'm very thankful for that because it's it's kind of scary to take a risk, you know, or kind of take that leap into sort of a different genre or genre pushing kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's been really awesome that people have received it. Uh, well, well, I, I think most, uh, I don't know if, if you can just define it to the younger generation, but I, I mean, a lot of people from my era, we grew up listening. I mean, I, I'm, I'm ACDC fan. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm disturbed. There, there are things that are really on the fringe, some darker, darker metal and different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, even beyond Metallica that, that I've listened to for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, uh, the general population adheres to format formality as much as the industry does. Uh, so it's the gatekeepers that I, I'll tell you a story. So there are two things. Back uh, in early part of my career, I cut a song called If the Good Die Young. Shot a video at Charlotte Motor Speedway, as a matter of fact, okay. yeah, with the racetrack. And I remember when we cut that song, uh, uh, Brett Rowan was playing guitar on that record. Phenomenal guitar player. And we had the screaming rock and roll guitar solo on it. Label lost their mind. This was 93. Lost their mind. Made me go back and put a fiddle, fiddle solo on it. So they, really? they, yeah, didn't want all that rock and roll guitar on the record. I'm serious. Oh, wow. There was another song I had called "If the World Had a Front Porch." I had radio stations that wouldn't play it because it said the word "cuss." Mm-hmm. Taught me how to cuss and how to pray. Wouldn't play it because it said the word "cuss." Wow, dude! So we've come a long way, dude. Yeah, no kidding. Holy cow! Um, I've I've definitely experienced uh, some gatekeeper issues with. Uh, like I said, piss and rednecker, and, and <laughs> so that one didn't fly, and uh, literally, <laughs> and uh, then give heaven some hell. There was a few out there that maybe thought that was a little sacrilegious, and so didn't get the didn't get the ad on those too. Yeah. So I've I've experienced that, but we haven't really we haven't really pushed the rock thing to country radio yet. But with this next record, there's a lot. There's a lot of, of rock on this next record, so if we decide to push one of those songs to as a country single, we'll see what happens. So, have you uh, crossed formats and gone to some of the other platforms? And, and my single, I, I dropped a song um, yesterday called Jack, and Jack is going to be my first uh, push at rock radio for so, rock single. So, how does that work with your label? What label are you on, by the way? Big Loud. Okay. So, um, Obviously, that's a whole nother promotion staff. Do you have a rock and roll affiliate label that you're sending it through? Uh, so Big Loud just started a rock label a couple years ago called really? Big Loud Rock, and they've signed uh, two or three acts. And so um, my like rock stuff is released under that imprint, and they have uh, they're they're constantly um, hiring people for that 
imprint and like there's four or five people in LA and they got a couple guys in New York that are just doing big loud rock and they don't have a radio team yet but I, I do know that a lot of their country radio people like a handful of their uh, country radio team uh, came from rock so they still have some of those relationships with like rock radio guys yeah that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that works you know uh, I, I know the Chris Gaines thing wasn't exactly the same but I mean he got a, he, I mean that was a massive pushback that he caught for doing that and that album wasn't bad I never I never got to hear it it wasn't, it wasn't a bad record just nobody wanted to see that whole alter ego thing you're not going down that path but sometimes you get just because you can don't mean that they want you to yeah you know that's it's true uh, but, you know, I think as an artist, what, what a lot of people don't understand is that you have to continue to push the boundaries to keep yourself excited about what you do as a songwriter, as a, as a musician, as a singer. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't really think we should ever put boundaries on ourselves. I think we should continue to grow all the time. I think, I think it's healthy. I think it's, that's a perfect description. I mean, you look at bands like Queen is like a really prime example that every, every five, six years they – they kind of changed directions. I mean, they were always queen, but they their sound changed, and that's that is a reason that they, you know, stayed relevant for so long. I mean, there's just there's certain bands that every so often would reinvent themselves, and and that to me that's that's why a lot of them did as well as they did. Is you know they they never got stale, they never got complacent with their creativity. So how deep did your uh, as a fan growing up before you got into the business? What was all the stuff you were listening to? How dark how dark did your catalog get? Did it take me down to the bottom? Oh man! Come on, let me go, dude. <laughs> when I was growing up, I was um, I tell everybody I grew up country, but I always listened to rock and roll. My dad always he liked country, but he he forced rock and roll on me at a really young age so when i was a kid it was like pearl jam stone temple pilots is probably my favorite band one of them i'm a big nine inch nails fan cool um i really like uh limp biscuit unapologetically a huge Absolutely. limp biscuit fan um and then i got into metal in high school a bunch of bands that nobody's ever heard of but uh like mushuga is probably one of the more popular ones um Oh man, I can't even. There's so many, but I, I got into metal a lot, and, I, and I'm a, I, I love classic rock. I could talk about classic rock all day. Yeah. Um, but I got into the really heavy stuff when I was old enough to like buy and consume music, you know, on my own, and not have to talk my parents into buying a yeah. CD at Walmart that had a parental advisory sticker on it or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, even Kid Rock's first couple of records, I was were like huge, huge influences of mine. Um, Puddle of Mud, uh, Lincoln Park, all that stuff was like yeah. that was that was very influential. That was when I was like uh, easily influenced. That was like my teenage years where like music was changing my life, and that was the stuff that was popular at the time. Man, I've seen some videos of Limp Biscuit like at Hellfest and stuff. Yeah, dude. When they were just when the the mosh pit just started freaking swirling, it's it was almost terrifying. Yeah, dude. That how massive that was and just the command that he had from that crowd. Yeah, it was scary to have that much control. And that uh, Woodstock '99, dude. Oh, I've seen both documentaries. Oh. Crazy. The corn when corn was out there and the people, everybody was jumping and it looked like waves. Man, I love just, this shit. Just <laughs> crazy too. But there's also you gotta be a little scared about having that much power to control that many people at one time. Yeah. It's it's a little scary. Yeah, man. I mean our shows, I would love for it to get as crazy as it could get, but I don't I would never want anything to get super out of hand, which is yeah. kind of tough because it's like 
how far do you push and when do you back off? Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's sometimes I mean, it's not because you always want it. You want to get that crowd to just just frothing at the mouth. I mean, yeah. that's that's the ultimate goal, man. Yeah. that's that's what you want. Exactly. I mean, that's part of the game. Yeah, you just I. I it's kind of like bad weather. Like I love bad weather, but I don't want anybody to get hurt. You know what I mean? It's oh, yeah. like it, how you're right. How far do you push them, and 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 when's it? When is it time to dial it back a little bit? But we haven't we haven't had to hit the dial back part yet. So we're gonna keep pushing until something. Hopefully yeah. not until something too bad happens. But yeah, until I, it gets I, too crazy. I, I don't think Fred knew when to stop. No, no way. I mean that that whole generation was built on on anarchy. Yes, and rage, and that was rage against the machine. Oh oh, yeah, oh yeah. That was the difference in '99 and and uh, Woodstock in the '60s. Was it was you know peace and love. Yeah, man, and it was just a different different culture. The kids were different in the '90s. Like they were built to, they were designed to be angry. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what the kids are designed to be now. I I I don't know. (laughs) I don't even want to know. That's a loaded question, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, man. So you're uh, you're about to tie the knot. Yeah, man. In yeah. like a month. Oh, uh, congratulations, man! Thank you. That's awesome. She's awesome. She's out on her bachelorette party right now. They're in Very New cool. Orleans, oh, living it up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man. I'm excited. We got everything done. Everything is done. So it's just the waiting game now. That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. You know, it's uh, marriage is very hard. My wife and I have been together 23 years. Wow. We just got our last daughter off to college, so we're empty nesters now. She's been spending more time on the road, so that's uh, that's a big change. Yeah, that's great. It is. She yeah. Callie comes out with me some. She kind of picks and chooses the cool cool spots to go yeah. to, like the cool cities and where there's things to do, and I don't blame her, you know. it's If we have a run of county fairs in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing to do, she's going to hold off and stay home. Yeah, where's the Starbucks at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you went to MTSU. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated in 2013. Um, I went to one year of junior college in Mississippi, and then when I was 19, I decided to move to Nashville. And, uh, yeah, I majored in songwriting. It was like a really new major at the time. Um, It was under the mass communications, like music industry. Yeah. Major, but yeah, I got my degree. It's hanging in my studio now and everything, man. I'm proud of it. Speaking of stuff hanging in plaques, I want you to look at that right there. I'm Dude, so proud of that. I have one. I am. I am a lord. Dude, lord I have one. I'm I'm so I am also a lord. Wonderful, my friend. We're both lords. Um, That's the greatest thing. I just want everybody to recognize. So, so DJ Silver's got where every time he walks up to me, he's playing bagpipes on his phone, and he's going, oh "Hear ye, God. hear ye!" Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, I think Callie's sister got me. I, is this? I can't from remember. Scotland. Yes, she went yes. to Scotland at like semester at sea or something, and she got one of these. So we, you and I, both on one foot of ground that goes all the you way correct, to sir. the other side of the of the earth. Isn't right? that wonderful? We could do anything we want with that one square foot of. Absolutely, ground. I just want to go pee on it. That's a great <laughs> idea. That is a. It's my yard. I can do what I want with it. We're ever both in Scotland at the same time. I will take you up on That's that. That's awesome, man. So I, I didn't really realize that uh, uh, songwriting, that you could get a degree in that, man. So so obviously you learned a lot. You've done really well. You've had some massive hits over the last few years, not only on yourself, but on quite a few other people. Yeah, it's been crazy. Pretty awesome. Um, man, in 2000, my first publishing deal, I uh, – it was a three-year deal, and I had no uh, zero cuts at the end of that deal. Really? And my publisher, who is like a family member, it's a crazy story, but um, he signed me like pretty much right out of MTSU. And uh, I might have been a little too young to have a publishing, like creatively young a little bit. I was kind of still figuring it out. But 
Um, he signed me anyway, and and I got zero cuts on my first deal. And then the uh, that was in that deal came up at the end of 2017. So I re-signed my deal in 2018, and that's kind of when everything started happening. I mean, it was immediately like the one year I had zero, and the next year I think I got like 40 cuts in a year. It was so, awesome. So what was the difference? Did you change something? No, I I. I owe it a lot of it, honestly, to uh, the FGL guys, man. They yeah. they had me out once in 2017, and it went really well. And then so they actually had me out a lot the rest of the year in 2017 and a lot of the year in 2018. And that between those guys having me out, I ended up writing a lot of songs on their uh, Can't Say I Ain't Country record. And then I met like Seth England at Big Loud through them, who runs – the label, uh, which is how pretty much how I met Morgan Wallen, and uh, I had a hit with Chris Lane. It was Big Loud, just in general, had a huge part of of my um, songwriting career. And then God's Country happened sort of out of the blue at the beginning of uh, 2019, and that that was a big that was a big step towards you know the songwriting thing as well. What's your philosophy about how you approach writing songs? I mean, do you do you start with a hook line? I've seen all different kind of things. I was watching this uh, this uh, documentary that was just released recently on uh, 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 Dave Grohl, uh, and and the whole way that they cut records is extremely different. Their whole songwriting process, the way they structure their sessions, and everything is very backward to anything that I've ever heard of. Yeah. But uh, country wise, I mean, how do, how do you approach writing a song? Where do you start? I usually start with an idea. Hook line or verse idea, does it matter? Like a hook, yeah. like a general, usually it's the title, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, which usually typically is the idea and uh, kind of go from there, man. It's every now and then, especially like with the rock stuff, like I'll have, a, I'll have written a riff or something, but that's usually like if it's for me, but if it's for somebody else, it usually starts with an idea. I'm, I'm not a big... Uh, um, fan of just kind of writing a song and seeing where it goes because what my brain works is like i need to know what exactly we're writing towards so i need the i need the the core of the song to be done like the idea itself and then kind of you sometimes start with the chorus but like i need to know exactly what we're writing at so you know you know where the plane is going to land absolutely and uh you know these days i write with a lot of they call them track guys producer writers or whatever and there's so many talented ones in town that constantly have awesome um i guess beats but just whatever grooves or whatever already written and these guys you go into a room and and hopefully myself or someone else has the idea and this dude's just scrolling through all their really cool things that they've made you know on their on their uh computer and and usually eventually you find a groove that fits the idea that you're trying to write and if not you somebody picks up a guitar and just kind of starts playing something but it, it it always starts with the idea for me how uh, how much have you played around with structure? I've noticed that I, I I think it was you that I was listening to your something. I've worked out, I've used your last CD to work out and stuff when we're out on the road, and I was noticing some structure differences, where it would be instead of verse course verse course, you would do like a, a verse channel verse channel course. There's some different yeah. structure things that you've been doing that are a little bit left footed from what most people typically call country. Man, I don't know. I think it kind of has happened naturally, but. Yeah, I, I don't, I haven't really thought about it, but um, 
I, I think it's very cool. It's not a negative. I'm just I'm yeah. just curious if it's if, if you're really trying to because I would like to try to go down that path a little bit more too and be a little bit more creative with structure. But you know what the attention span? Everybody says you got to get to the you got to get to the hook. You got to get to the meat real fast, or people lose interest really quick. I mean that's true, but I don't know if the song's good enough. People are gonna absolutely if the verses and the channel is good enough. People are gonna want to listen to the rest of it. I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I got a song. There's a song on my last record, uh, A Rock, the last song that's called A Rock. And like that one is, that one's, there's no chorus. It's just ver like five verses. And then that's, that's the whole song. And yep. I don't know, man. It, it's kind of, I guess, just whatever feels right. And it, that always happens in the room. I feel like where you'll mess, we'll, we'll have a verse and we'll like mess with the channel and then kind of look at each other like this. We're saying the same thing we just said in the verse. Let's just get to the chorus. And sometimes like there's a verse and we look around and we're like, I feel like there's one little thing that we need to say before, you know, we get to what we're trying to say in the chorus. So I guess it just kind of depends on how you get there. But um, I love a good channel, man. I'm, I'm all about the channel. I think channels are a huge part. And, and older traditional country never had channels. Really? Was, it, I mean, a lot of the older stuff. You know, it's always two, two like Bohemian Rhapsody and Stairway to Heaven. That whole orchestral thing with the huge dynamics i mean uh the way that stairway was put together you think anybody will ever be able to pull that length of a song off in country music and have that theatrical kind of build nobody's done it yet that i know of no not yet who you thinking about it ain't you I've, i might already have something that's <laughs> really? coming out but i can't talk about it oh come on man it's, it's coming out come I, on i'll be able to talk about it in uh a couple of weeks um I think we're dropping the song actually in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. I've got a uh, like a five and a half minute song, so it's not like that long, but it's a it's a very theatrical shift changing uh, thing. But yeah. I agree with you, man. I think it's cool, and and there's room for that, man. I think it, there is too. You know, it might not. Radio might not play it. That's right. It doesn't have room. to live on the radio. But, but you know, uh, 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 Led Zeppelin never worked radio. Yeah, that they, is they it didn't true? sing. They never had a number one or Stairway might have been their only number one or no. something. Or I, uh, hey, hey, what can I do? Was like the only thing that was never on an album. And I think it was one of the few things that charted for them. Dude, the first time I heard that song, they did a record where they didn't do the record, but a record came out in the nineties. Uh, it was called Encomium, and it was where a bunch of '90s artists did Zeppelin songs. So the first time I ever even heard "Hey, Hey, What Can I Do," Hootie did it. Darius, really, did it. and it's freaking awesome, and it sounds like a Hootie song. And and then I had to go back and try to find it, and I couldn't. I'm with you. It's I couldn't on no find albums. it on an album. No. So how did that even? I have no idea. I don't even know how it got released. But the only I don't even think you can find it on Spotify or anything. That's crazy. I just know that from college, man. I hadn't heard that song in a long. I've looked for it on Spotify. And I can't find it. That's insane. Yeah. But ever, but people, if you know classic rock, like you know that song. Absolutely, it's pretty wild. That was, that was a big record, man. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, um, yeah. You're not gonna tell me. God dang it! I can't, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome though. It's awesome, and and. Uh, it's just very theatrical and very dramatic, and uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that people, you can get away with stuff like that, man. It's cool, and and it's it's time for that stuff to start happening again because yeah. nobody has done that in so long. And there's people, I think that can get away with. It. I'll tell you one song that does it, but they had a radio edit edit, and this song, uh. It's crazy, but it's Billie Eilish, and it's happier than ever. And the song starts out like a um, 1930s or 40s sounding uh, 
it's like, I think it's like a ukulele, but the vocal is very, it just sounds like a song from like the 30s or 40s. And uh, she, it's this three minutes of like this very beautifully written, it's like a breakup thing, but they they do the thing and that in and then it and then it switches over to like this guitar chug and the rest of the song is really dramatic and really like rock and roll and that's the only song i can think of but but they didn't play that on the radio they the radio it started yeah. with the rock part and they just played that part yeah. that's the only one i can really think of that's like um you know that's a big song i guess big epic kind of thing yeah that's cool so um You've been out with uh, uh, Morgan all year? The tour started like November 11th last year. So we have toured all year this year. It's crazy. It's been that's, a long I tour. mean, massive crowds too, man. That's Dude. just, it's it's unbelievable to be able to go out there and be on stage in front of huge crowds every night. And it's incredible, man. I'm, I'm spoiled at this point, especially yeah. like when we first started back. And that Morgan, it was kind of his comeback time, you know, and we were like, we played a show in Mobile. It was like his third show that he did. And uh, there was not a festival. It was just like Larry Fleet, Ashlyn Craft, myself, and Morgan. And there were 30,000 people there, dude. Yeah. And it like, it broke the city of Mobile. Like it, they, it was on the news and how bad the traffic was and all this crazy stuff. And I don't know, man. It was just, it was crazy to be a part of that and to witness that because it, it's just, it was like a, it was like a phenomenon that hasn't happened in a long time where somebody had, you know, a, a massive group of people have freaked out over an artist like that. It's just it's crazy to be a part of. What, what Being out there with it, from your perspective, what do you think has been the primary contributing factor outside of just the whole the, the TMZ attack and all that crap? Well, has there been something that you can say, this is why this guy is so big? Like, I mean, what's made him explode like this? I think that the TMZ thing had something to do with it in a way that it made his fan base stronger. Um, but it still gave an exposure to the whole rest, to this massive number of people. But still, he's he's had to have the goods to back it up too. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, he this record was huge, and every you know he put out a thirty song record, which some nobody has done. I feel like in forever, and it wasn't split up in pieces. It was a thirty song record. Every song on there was awesome. I think that um, he waited three years to drop that record from his first record, which was already a big record. So I think the anticipation was. Uh, was really high and um i think the mullet had something to do with it and i think morgan people knowing morgan and knowing stories and knowing how he is and just how uh just how morgan is man and everybody knows that that he's everybody has a morgan wallen story or has heard a morgan wallen story and and that's i think there's a little bit of that that people are like i gotta go see this guy he's a great singer his live show is awesome his band is awesome and i think the uh, the the big thing was after all the crazy stuff happened, he went silent for a long time and kind of disappeared off of the face of the earth. And that created an even bigger demand for, you know, when's he going to come back? It's like who shot Jr. You know what I mean? It was like, when, when is this guy going to finally come back? So when he finally announced that he came back, it was just like pandemonium. It was all of that stuff that came together and kind of converged at the same time. What's uh, what's the next step for you? If you got one last show with him, I mean, are you gonna are you ready to step out and headline your own tour? Or are you gonna yeah. do a package thing? You fixing you fixing to make the jump? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do some headliner stuff next year. We're getting ready to big production that. rig. What's what's the plan? We're gonna actually do. Um, we're playing like we're we're either doing like multiple nights at like you know 
3,000 cap rooms or we're doing like a few like bigger rooms. But yeah, we're going to up our production. We're getting a video wall. No, no, uh, no pyro yet, but, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be different than our production now. We're super excited about it. Well, being able to step out there and let and be able to have all of your personality shine through what your production is is gonna be a major step, dude. I, I cannot wait, man. I'm and I think for all you. that stuff adds to our our show because you've seen it. I mean, it's it's like a rock show, and we yeah. kind of are unapologetically like over the top with everything, and and um, yeah, having some of that new production and that, all the video wall and just some of the new stuff and cryo and all that stuff is, is really going to help next year but I'm, I'm excited to get out there man it, we haven't done we did like less than 10 headliner shows this year but none were like in clubs it was like county fairs or really small festivals so we haven't really you know they've all been like somewhat built-in crowds but we haven't seen like our hard ticket in in gosh a year and a half or maybe like a full calendar no probably a year and a half because we went from aldine took a small break and then went straight to morgan so we haven't really done any like headliner shows in a club in yeah a year and a half or even longer so it's i'm excited to see our hard ticket and and what you know what the people do kind of get the, the data in place and kind of see where you're at man yeah. see where your hot spots are and that's right and that's pretty awesome man so we uh i'm, I'm a little disappointed we had talked uh i, I know you're a tattoo artist and you got a lot of ink up <laughs> Let me, let me tell you first. So, so I, this was my most recent one. I just got this. I like one. that, man. Yeah, and uh, uh, so I'd been uh, my my guitar player Travis. He knew a guy up in Idaho, and he actually came out to the bus and did this on the bus, which is really cool. And I'd looked for a lot of things that I wanted, and so about two weeks after I got this done, my wife pulled up a picture and she said, "Look at this. Alden's got the same tattoo on on his arm." Does he really? Yeah. <laughs> so I showed it to him and I said, "Yeah, I got to come back in. And we're going to do my my guitar player is going to write the score out for Time Marches On, a little band that we're going to oh, do. That's and I'm cool, put Time man. Marches On above the top of it. I think that's and then a great this idea. one. We just got this, and my wife and my daughters. We went to Italy in June, and we all four got the same tattoo in Rome. So I got mine here. My youngest daughter got hers here. My wife got hers on her wrist. And my other daughter got a, got it on her side. So this is representing our love of travel. This is this compass. Dude, that's and it's cool that you got it in a different country. Yeah, we all and we all did it together. All did it the yeah, same day. The exact same tattoo, different sizes for every, what everybody wanted. But it was a very cool experience. That's really cool, dude. And I'm I'm so bummed. That so here here's what I want to do. So thing. to all you folks out there listening, uh, we were supposed to uh, do a tattoo. Who's going to tattoo me while I was doing this interview? But I think the plan is that I'll just come to you and we'll just do the tattoo and yeah. video it, and then we'll do an addendum to this podcast. Yeah, that's afterwards. perfect. We'll build some anticipation. Now. I think that'll be a real good thing. Okay. Come up with something real good. So, so how good a, how good of a tattoo artist are you? I'm good. I haven't really done anything on my on myself yet, which kind of sounds bad. But I've been doing it on other people. I did a big hot dog on my um on my. Uh, one of our crew guys uh, right here on his leg, and his girlfriend's a tattoo artist. So what was it you were supposed to say? That what? No, you told me and I forgot. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's my that's my guitar player's line, dude. Wow, Justin. Wow, you got I'm, me. I'm, I'm sitting here going, I gotta remember what it was, and I just couldn't remember. Oh my god, did you get that from Justin? <laughs> I just met him right before this podcast started, <laughs> and he told you to say that. Yeah. Oh my god, he's such an idiot, dude. <laughs> yeah, if somebody tells a story, a lot of times, dude, and this is so mean, but we'll we'll be in like a we'll you know airport shuttle or something, and like 
we'll have a driver that likes to talk. You know how that is. Oh yeah. They'll tell some story that none of us care about, and Justin, you know, if nobody's in on the joke, they don't know. But Justin will just be in the back and go, "Wow, that's crazy." <laughs> if you're ever, if you're listening to this and you're ever driving us and tell a story and you hear that, just know we're making fun of you. <laughs> Uh, so by the way, that's the, that's Derek. Derek plays guitar in the band. All oh, right, on. And that's Scott. Scott's a piano player. So they're awesome. they're doing double duty. I think you went to MTSU too, didn't you? MTSU grad, uh, two thousand eleven. From the okay, record. so we we overlapped probably a little bit. I I, I started, well, I started in two thousand eleven. I stole him from Sound Emporium. He was in, oh right he, on. He, he actually from the Rim program. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of Rim? <laughs> hey. Recording industry management. <laughs> I had to ask, but. <laughs> and and Scott plays piano, and he's awesome. He's he's from Waco. He can't help it. Waco, yeah. <laughs> You're from Arkansas, right? Yeah, I grew up in Arkansas. I'm originally from East Texas. Okay. Uh, so my mom remarried when I was young, and I moved to Southwest Arkansas. So obviously, I'm sporting the stuff today dude today, i've got my i was i was gonna wear my mississippi state hoodie but i left it probably with my tattoo at least you're somewhere. not an old miss fan man dude but i'm marrying an old miss grad dude right, and that's but tough. Lane, that's what lane kiffin did to tennessee it's really hard for me to digest i just can't and they were beating up on kentucky out there a while ago who who was i haven't watched old miss playing kentucky today are they and, and they're beating arkansas, kentucky right now oh, they were, it was 14 nothing they were just running all over them and arkansas is playing alabama today i know yeah this will be done by the time y'all see all this but i don't care dude uh yeah, the last two years, the SEC West, aside from Ole Miss and Alabama, it's been the most level playing field I've seen in forever. LSU, Auburn, Arkansas, and A&M have all beat – and Auburn, or did I, maybe I said Auburn, but last year we all beat each other. Like, if you drew like a – like the CIA guys that draw the lines and try to connect like who the killer is. I mean, it, it we it was insane, and it's kind of looking like it's going to be like that this year too. But everybody but Georgia to me. Yeah, I just don't know if anybody's going to beat Georgia this year. Uh, yeah, I mean they're yeah. they're. I mean they could beat Dallas right now. UT, I feel like could be the. Uh, oh, yeah, well. <laughs> and as a, I'm a da- I'm a Dak Prescott guy because I'm a Mississippi State guy, so I'm a second Dallas fan, and yeah. uh, I understand. I hate it for him. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do though? I yeah, mean. I know it. And I, I, dude, those Dak years at Mississippi State were awesome, and I, I was already living in Nashville, but I remember. So my dad was a high school referee in Mississippi for really? years, and he. In the '90s, started doing the was on the chain crew at Mississippi State. So he he ran the chains, and now he runs the play clock at Mississippi State. And um, so when we had Dak and we beat LSU the first game, A and M the second game, and we were like ranked number five or something like that, and we were playing number two Auburn. Uh, I was in Nashville. This was like 2014. I had no money, nothing, and I. Uh, but I'm from about 30 minutes south of Startville, and I uh, woke up that morning and I texted my dad and I said, I'm coming down there. I was like, I don't have a ticket. And you couldn't get a ticket, but I was like, I am coming down there. And uh, I went down there, met up with some buddies and um, watched. I got I ended up getting in the game and I watched Dak beat number two Auburn. And that, that week, it was either number two or number three Auburn, but that week, Ohio State, Clemson, and some someone else got beat and we beat – Auburn so we were the only team in the top five that won that week so we knew that we were about to come in at number one for the first time in history Mississippi State was going to be the number one ranked team and it was the first year that they were implementing the playoff uh, um, bracket or whatever and it was after that week was the first week that they would rank the playoff teams ever because you know they don't rank it until like five or six weeks into the uh, thing so a piece of trivia 
the first team to ever come in at number one, the first time they ever ranked the four-team playoff was Mississippi State with, wow. with Dak Prescott. You know, I don't think people that don't live in the South really understand how serious college football is here. Dude, we don't. It's, it's, it, it's a religion. There's so, there's so little or so few uh, pro teams in the South that, like, that's all we have, man. Yeah. I mean, especially people like being from Arkansas – you know, you're too far from Memphis, you're too far from New Orleans, you're too far from Dallas, and we were too far from Atlanta, New Orleans, or Memphis. And so, like, you're, you're in between. It's like college football, man. Big time. Yeah. I grew up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. That really? was back during Bradshaw and Franco Harris and, you yeah. know, all that that era, man. While everybody else was a Dallas Cowboy fan, man, I, I got to hang out with Bradshaw a couple of times, man. What a cool guy he He is. seems like he's he really he seems is, super man. cool, man. Yeah, we, we, we drank a little bit one night. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's pretty funny, man. He's well, a um, where was that? Uh, I played in a golf tournament for the, uh, the uh, uh, Alumni Association up in New Jersey, and me and Tracy Bird – and Ron Jaworski were on a team, and we actually won the thing. And and uh, and Howie and Bradshaw were all there. And I went. We did a. We actually played a show at the House of Blues that night. Okay. There. And we hung out up was the founders room at the House of Blues, that upstairs room that they have, or whatever that private room is. But we all hung out. Me and, me and Bradshaw hung out all night. Dude, it was really awesome. good. I don't know if he remembers it, but it was really. <laughs> <good right. laughs> it was awesome. pretty fun, man. You play a lot of golf. I used to. Uh, I've had a shoulder injury this year. I hadn't That's right. Been able to we play. talked about that. I play but a tournament every year. Man. I know, and we're it's it's the the tournament's been a lot of fun, and I'm really sad I hadn't got to play either year. So I'm I'm hoping I'm going to be able to get this thing fixed and be able to play next. next Dude, I hope so, man. Too. You gotta. You can't lose that game if it's if it was going good. I mean, when I was playing, uh, right before I got injured, I mean, I'd got to the point I was able to get down in the 70s every now and then. You yeah. know, shooting in the low 80s on a regular basis. Yeah. And, you know, I got an awful looking swing, but I keep it in the fairway. Dude, and it don't clutch, matter. You know, and have a great time but guys it's just been frustrating because i was playing during the summer i play three days a week yeah you know yeah, when we're out awesome. on the road and it's just kind of gone away yeah but it will come back good yeah you got dude that's I, that breaks my heart for you man my, my yeah. uh, fiance's grandpa finally has gotten to the point in his life where he had to give away all this golf stuff and he was oh. so beat up about it man like I, you know he's like i played my last round and and it sucks man that's I, it's like one of the many reasons i want to take care of my my physical body just because I, I would I, I want to play golf the rest of my life yeah this old road's hard on you though man yeah I mean it, it'll beat you up yeah I mean you'll right. wake up one day you'll be old like us <laughs> oh, I already feel like it sometimes man. yeah and uh, the road road treats you like dog years I think I mean it, it beats you up no fun I see pictures I see pictures of me we we didn't start touring um till about four years ago and uh man I see pictures even just four years ago, and I'm like, dude, I look like a kid. I feel like I've lived oh, a thousand lifetimes since then. <laughs> well, you've seen a whole lot, man. You, your whole life has changed. Yeah, I mean, to really, really put it into perspective, it's uh, it's like you moved to a different planet. Yeah, like, everything around your whole world has changed. Yeah, and it affects, dude. It affects your parents, your 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 loved ones, your loved ones' parents. Like, it's it's crazy how much it changes everything, and everybody has to kind of play ball, which is like I have so much respect for everybody that you know that I'm related to and people that have kind of experienced changes in the way that people change around them and how you know my parents and my family and Callie and people have to deal with people like that because it's all because of me and and I've struggled with that for a long time and I kind of blame myself and 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 I've finally kind of broke through that and was like this is just this is my life and it's a blessing and and uh, it's just a blessing that you know. It sucks, but it's a blessing to have people around you that can handle that change really well. I never really thought about what my dream was going to 
how it was going to impact the rest of my family and the people that I loved until it happened. Uh, you, you don't even think about that. You're so driven and focused on what you want. And you're, I mean, it's like, I, I never really thought through all that, but it did. I remember, man, my dad hated time marches on. He hated it <laughs> because it talks about daddy's got a girlfriend in another town. And people don't really understand that I didn't write that song. Bobby Braddock wrote it. So right. they think that because I sang it, I'm talking about my family. Right. Yeah. And that my daddy's got a girlfriend in another town. So he got questions about it all the time. He hated it. I mean, wow. it really impacted him hard. And I never thought about that. Yeah. It's crazy the things. I just always say, you know. Johnny Cash didn't really shoot a man in Reno. <laughs> it's country music, man, and and uh, but yeah, I mean, people believe it, and and dude, even when I was growing up, I thought everybody wrote their own songs. I didn't learn about the songwriter thing till I was sixteen or seventeen, and my sister moved to Nashville, and she was like, "Holy crap, there's like a whole industry with you know songwriters, and you get paid, and you're just a normal dude, and you go into a room and you write a song every day, and then that you know most I people you know." It goes to someone else. I still have people that think, you know, okay, well, well, so and so wrote this song, and then uh, uh, Jason Aldean bought it from them. Oh my God, no, it, dude. Do, it doesn't work that way. No, it does it, not. No, we, we don't buy songs. You don't sell that. I, they might have done that years ago, but now there's a whole publishing industry that's its own side of the business. That's it. It gets confusing to me sometimes. I oh, mean, it's crazy. That, and it's changing all the time. It's, yeah, it really is, dude. It's changed when I when I moved to town. And this, and this, I know this is completely different than when you moved to town or when you were here, but or when you were, you know, started in Nashville. But you, everybody wrote at ten, and there were no track guys. There were no guys None in front of, of a computer, and and you just had a, an acoustic guitar, and you sat in a room with three other dudes, and and dudes or women, and and you wrote a song. And now, sadly, I probably do that kind of write like three or four times a year, and the rest of the time I'm in. It's just so streamlined, and it's. It's hard to it's and and then you know back then it was like you'd have to write a song on an acoustic and then you'd have to record it on your phone or on a recorder or something like that and uh, then you know a month later you'd gather your five best songs and then you'd take go it do to a the demo studio. Yeah. and um, as sad as it is that's you know it's so convenient to have somebody that's sitting in the room that has a full blown demo that sounds like it could go to the radio you know that day and that's just kind of the way it is now man. I, you know, I think that's Trey Lewis. I, I went, I sat with Trey Lewis the other day. That's pretty much how that. I'm not even going to say the name of the song. Another song, but but that, that's pretty much what they did. I mean, that was just just a, wrote it on a on that, a tour track. That was, that was a work track. Yeah, they, they, he just put a vocal on, man. Then I think they added some guitar stuff to it. But it's it's all completely different, man. Uh, do you are you able to ride on the road? Yeah, I bring people out. Um, I used to. You know, I don't enjoy it. Is like a whole lot. I, I I love the process, but it's the uh, I don't know. Sometimes I'll bring people out, and then then I then you feel like you have to. Yeah, exactly. And and I you know, or like we're gonna go to a place, and Morgan texts me and he's like, "Dude, this guy can get us on this PGA course." And I'm like, "Man, I got some riders out and I stuff know. like that." And I, I love being able to go out and kind of do my own thing on the road. Um, but I I do it because I feel like I I have two jobs and and. I'll write for myself, you know, if I'm writing for a record, but like right now, like my record is done. And for the next year and a half, I'm not thinking about me at all. And I just want to write songs for, you know, everyone else. And, um, but when I'm in town, I'm so freaking tired. And like, you know, we get back on a Sunday and I usually like, I take a Monday to do whatever. And then Tuesday I'll write and Wednesday I might write, but then we leave Wednesday, you know, so I only get to write two times when I'm in town. So, um, 
I'm trying to bring writers out probably once, maybe twice a month, just yeah. to to try to keep up with my uh, you know my other job, if you will. And and uh, I enjoy it, man. And dude, I I mean, I credit half of my hits to songs that I've written on the road, or at least like you know cuts I've gotten and stuff like that. So it, writing on the road is a it's it's legit, man. You can it's I used to do it all it. the time, but man, I just I I I just don't. I have to have the structure. I do. I take. I keep ideas, man. I gather ideas all the time. But usually, when I I can't write all year long. I'm not one of those guys that does it all all year long. I, once I start, I'll do like several months, and then I'll just knock a bunch of songs out. But I dropped three albums last year, and I literally wrote myself to a place where I just ran out of ideas. The last few songs I wrote were awful. Yeah. And I just and I just haven't. I mean, I just haven't had the headspace to go back to it yet. Yeah. But I guess everybody's different, man. You've got your own comfort zone and, and the reason that you do things. I mean, it's all, the road's always been a real difficult difficult place for me to ride. I struggle yeah. with it. Well, and like, uh, you know, like you got a thing at two o'clock and you got to go do this. And then, you know, you come back and it, it, having those little breaks where you have to hop off the bus and go do a thing and come back and this and that. It's it's tough too, especially for me. Cause I, if, when I'm, when I'm in it and we're writing the song, maybe I'm I don't know what kind of mental disorder that is but like if I'm in there I can do it but the second that I go away and I come back it's really hard for me to get back into the thing you know oh, the yeah. creative space or so whatever. you're not one of these guys that'll get half done and leave hell I, no I, 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 I dude, always have we to don't, finish it I, if, if we're, we don't finish the song that day or in that setting it bothers me for like weeks like I and, and very rarely do I like revisit that idea or it's whatever. hard to go back to I mean Craig Wiseman Craig could stay six eight hours he don't dude. care He'll, he'll, I mean, he's, he's going to stay till it's done. He's the last care. person at Big Loud every day. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. He's a, he's a lyrical genius, man. Yeah, I know. Man, I say this all the time. I think, I think the writers in Nashville are the last true American poets in this. 100%. I agree with that. And 100%. I'll put us up against anybody out there, any format out there. I, I think as a, as, as a, as a business model and a structure, I mean, everything you want's right there on those three streets. At least it used to be. It's spread out a little bit since Music Row's kind of gone away. But God, the publishing houses and the caliber of songwriters that are there. I mean, I go all the way back to guys like Dean Dillon. I mean, golly, what a career he's had man the things yep. that he's written i mean it's just it's been amazing to to get to know some of those guys and and just kind of pick their brain and, and just to hear the way that their mind functions they're 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 lyrical geniuses it is man paint pictures with words man it's a it's a gift and everybody has their own like uh it is such a gift because everybody has their own voice and like very very seldom like no two people are the same like i think of guys like casey bethard oh yeah who just have those long internal rhyming lines that say like something really cool and like you can't everybody gets better but like you're born with that talent to be able to say things in your own way that nobody else can say it exactly the way that you just said it and craig's another one that's like Absolutely. that i even some of the newer guys rodney clausen his color and the way that he writes detail and and uh i mean there's so many so many people but you're right man i, I truly I, I think there's great writers everywhere and there's good writers in la and new york and whatever but the true, the people that are writing words and writing words to melodies that make you feel something and that can make you cry and that can make you do this and that are in Nashville. I agree with you 100%. Without a doubt. Um, so I, I want to make sure that we don't miss any topics that you want to discuss. I mean, the, the there's not much of this year left. You're going out on tour next year. Uh, album's done and in the can. Uh, what kind of things do you do when you're not uh, – 
working? What are your outlets, man? You a reader? You, I mean, what what are the things you do? Not a reader. <laughs> Not a reader. No, I mean, I will. I have, and uh, every now and then I will. But uh, I hunt, and fish a lot. I fish a lot when it's when it's warm. Um, and actually, one of my biggest hobbies is uh, I find arrowheads all over, like in Nashville. Cool. And uh, I go to the Cumberland River a lot. And there's places everywhere, man, that, you know, back in the day, Native Americans, they lived up on the edge of those rivers. And now as they've dredged the river, it kind of cuts like a lot of dirt out of the bank. And every time it rains and when the river gets up and comes down, it washes arrowheads up on the on the bank. And, and I do that a lot. I have a pretty awesome collection that came from like literally the river, like when you drive over it at Briley and like like just areas that are all right around Nashville, it's just really cool. Really? Yeah. It's well, awesome, man. And there's there's some spots as you get back uh, above Old Hickory Lake and back into the river that goes up in there. Uh, there's there right through there is where the Trail of Tears came through, dude. So there's a there's a massive area through there. There's no telling then. It's it's some of the stuff I have found is is like crazy, but to think that that stuff is laying there and that people are. Uh, you know, riding bass fishing up and down the river or skiing or whatever, and they just have no idea that there's some of the coolest stuff that's people don't realize that some of that stuff is like thousands and thousands of years old. In theory, if they've, you know, they they were here for, in theory, 10,000 years before, you know. Yeah, Columbus didn't discover America. No they way, man. Here, they man. were they were 22 million Native Americans here when, when they got here. And, and and that just means that there's there's shit everywhere, dude. <laughs> there's oh, stuff. I mean, if they lived here for that long and there was that many of them, there's stuff. I found. Do you ever play Greystone in a Dixon Golf Course? I don't think so. I was playing with uh, a couple guys, and we were on the second tee box, and there was a and there was a creek that ran through the thing, and it's always like high ground next to water. It running water is always like a giveaway. Like there's, they could have lived there, and uh, we were on the second tee box, and on the side of the of the tee box or on like this little hill, it was a whole thing of dirt, and and uh, for two seconds I walked over there and I just kind of looked and I saw a perfect arrowhead laying in that dirt and I called the guys over and I was like, y'all come here. I was like, before I pull this out of the ground, I want y'all to see this because it's a really cool thing. And I said, you see that rock? It, it was only like half exposed. So it kind of just looked like a sharp rock. And I said, that is an arrowhead. When I pull this out of the dirt, you're going to, you're going to be able to tell. And they're like, all right, yeah, I see it. And I pulled it out. And it was a perfect arrowhead. Wow. And it was, so, it was super cool to show some guys that that it blew their mind. They were like, what do you mean it's here? Like, you know, it was the whole thing. So it was really cool. Uh, so it's been several years ago, and, and I, it was a real physical hunt, but I, I went to uh, to Montana, and uh, I did a uh, an elk guide. Yeah. And uh, we it, we would go out in the morning, and we would get down at the base of the hills, and he'd glass the elk, and then we'd go back and eat breakfast and wait in the early afternoon. We would go to freaking hiking. You'd go up yeah. to the top of the mountain. So a couple of days went by. The third day, nobody got a kill. Our harvest, however right. you want to say it, but but we had we had packed up and we my, my guide and I went all the, we we glassed the elk and everything, watched them through the binoculars and then saw which way they were going up the mountain, followed them up there that afternoon and then you only have like a forty five minute window when you get up there, but it was real cool. So he we had come up to the top of this bluff and it was almost like an altar. It was a rock a rock ledge and below it was a channel. Uh, and there was like hundreds of elk moving through this channel, just big bulls everywhere. And it was like a three, four hundred yard shot. And down below this this rock altar, where you could tell that the that the Native Americans had had shot the arrows from this place, there were arrowheads 
everywhere all around this whole area. Oh, but man. you're talking about a two-hour hike up in the middle of nowhere yeah, where very few people had ever seen. It was like a religious experience. Dude, man. and those elk had been traveling that since they've existed. Yeah, and just, it's the migratory path that they do. It's just genetic. Dude, that's they don't even so think cool, about it. Man. Just to be there and hear them all bugling down there and be in that experience was unbelievable. Oh, I got chills. Yeah. I love that. I love that stuff, man. Oh, that's, yeah, I cool. always think about, especially when I find them in Mississippi where I'm where I grew up, we have a couple of spots where we deer hunt, where there's some spots where you can find them. And every time I find one, I think about like some dude, probably half my age, made this and was hunting the same animal that I'm out here hunting right now. Arguably a thousand, two, three thousand years ago is like crazy? the coolest thing in the world to me. Just to realize that you're at the same place at a different time that somebody was there before you. Yeah. That's right, man. I love it. It's the coolest thing about it to me. Yeah, that's very cool. You do a metal detector or anything like I that? I have before. Um, I haven't gotten into like a lot of the Civil War stuff. And honestly, in Nashville, man, it's picked over. Like, there's people oh, yeah, know they've, they've got people it all. get out the history books and the stuff, and they know exactly where camps were. Um, but I have a metal detector, and I actually have this thing. This is super nerdy, but it's like a magnet. And it's like this magnet that can hold like up to 400 pounds. It's like crazy. And you're supposed to tie like a rope to it and you throw it out in the water. Like you can throw it out like like under bridges and stuff. And, and you can find like pistols and crap that people have thrown so off just, into the water. It just sucks them all to it. Dude, you just you throw it out in the water and you drag it. And anything made of metal, it just sucks it to it. And uh, wow. I always wanted to go up the Stones River and do that because um, one of my buddies in college found, he and his family had a house on the Stones and they found a cannon barrel. In there and like so, I know you can find a lot of Civil War stuff uh, in the stones if you go up far enough. And you, if you just took that thing and drug it behind the boat or something and pulled it up every now and then, it'd be cool to see what you come up with. That's really crazy, man. I ordered one of those from Wish.com because really? my, my dad and I were talking about it, and uh, the damn thing shows up and it's as big around as my thumb. I thought it was gonna be like a dinner plate, you know? It's like, oh, what am I gonna do with this fucking thing? Did you ever try it out? Bleep. <laughs> it wasn't big enough to use. It was like as small as my thumb, and I thought it was going to be like a, damn, like a dinner plate. Yeah. But yeah, I showed my dad, and he said, what the hell are we going to do with that? Mine's like a, it's like a size of like a solo cup. You know what I mean? I guess they make different sizes for what you're going after, I guess. But, yeah, you would think something as big as your thumb's not going to cover a lot of ground. You're going to have to hit, the, hit it right on the nose if you're going to get something. <laughs> Well, I can't think of anything else to talk about, man. I, I've really enjoyed it, man. Me too. Getting to know you, I've been really excited about it. Tattoo's got to happen, dude. It's going to happen. We got to do it. It's going to happen, 100%. Yep. yep. Looking forward to it, man. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on here. Hardy, y'all get it up for him. Woohoo. Thank you, brother. Good to see you, friend. Let's go kick ass out there tonight. Let's do it.